0: Science Podcast. My name is Harry Bubbles, and welcome back to the second Sunday of Easter for the week of April 24th, 2022. And I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig in this week's podcast and I'm excited that we are in this Easter season. For me, this is kind of just a really exciting time of year. I think it's something, especially as we'll kind of get into where I'm looking at bringing us this time around with it, I think there's some more here. There's some depth that we don't typically cover and I think that can be really helpful in us understanding the depth of what this actually is. Being able to conceive and comprehend what it looks like for us to have where God is seeking us, but we also have to pursue and seek God, that take that time to be able to look out for God. And I think in that, as we kind of look at this week, I think what is seen as doubt for Thomas, the doubting Thomas, I think there is a lot of life that Thomas is actually bringing that, especially as a scientist, I really appreciate. But let's look back at last week's question. The question I had for you last week is where do you need to spend time? And we got a couple of responses back, but one of them I thought was really good was time and thanksgiving. Being able to actually spend time thanking God for the blessings that are, are happening around us and actually giving thanks. And I think that's one thing that Especially being in a first world nation, especially being the countries that most likely you're hearing this in, being able to be affluent enough to have extra resources available. I think that's something that we do need to spend some time and actually give thanks for. Especially being part of the United States, how often the idea of how we live, the rest of the world should live. And when we've looked at before the typical American and the amount of consumption that we have, the world can't sustain. So the idea of us being able to give thanks and in that giving thanks, actually maybe starting to recognize some of the things that we're doing that maybe aren't sustainable, maybe aren't. The way that they should be for us to be able to really see the world and be able to enjoy the world. So let's just jump into the text this week. And I'm thinking this week, I'm going to do something I haven't done in a long time. We're going to start with the gospel text. And the reason that I am is because I feel like this sets up the rest of the readings this week. So the gospel text this week is out of John chapter 20, verses 19 to 31. So We're back in John's gospel. So if you read John's gospel last week on the resurrection, this is continuing of that. But here you've had, it's the first day of the week. The disciples are gathered together. They're scared. Jesus appears among them, says, peace be with you. He shows them his hands, his side. He then says again, peace be with you as the father has sent me. So I have sent you and breathed on them to receive the Holy Spirit. And talking about the forgiveness of sins. All the disciples are there except Thomas. So when the disciples go and talk to them about this, Thomas is skeptical. That's how I'm going to put it, is skeptical. And wants to see the hands where the marks in his hands and the side. A week later, they're all together again. Jesus says, peace be with you. He goes to Thomas, showing his hands and his side. Thomas responds with, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet come to believe. And then it kind of gets into the end of John's gospel in a lot of ways, saying that there were other signs, but they're not written in this book. So this interesting concept of Thomas wanting some more support, wanting to make sure that there, this wasn't a one-time occurrence type of thing, that there was some evidence behind what is actually going on. The first reading this week is out of Acts chapter 5 verses 27 to 32. This is quite the contrast to where we are in the gospel text because this then is later on, this is as we're getting past the ascension that now you have some of the leadership kind of questioning why are you continuing to teach this when we've said to not do this, this coming from the high priest, Peter states, we're not going by human authority, we're going by what God has told us to do, which remember, even in the gospel text, it states where Jesus is saying that he has sent them out, He has commanded them to greater things. So thus, Peter is now emboldened compared to the in fear that we see in the gospel to talk about what this meant, this death, this resurrection, and what that means, and the Holy Spirit to be given upon them. There are two different Psalms this week. The first Psalm is Psalm 118, verses 14 to 29, which we did last week, which was one of the Psalms that you could possibly do last week. Again, it's talking about more the power of God and then what that does for us. And that recognition of what God is doing for us is out of love. This recognition of that, We give praise to God because of what God is doing for us. And that is love endures forever. We have two verses in this that are very, very familiar. The 22nd verse, the stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And then verse 29, Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. So the idea of all this power and all these things that God does He does because he loves us. The alternative psalm is all six verses of the 150th psalm, which I think you can easily say this is a praise psalm since praise starts five of the six verses, and especially as a percussion player where verse five, praise him with clanging cymbals, praise him with loud crashing cymbals. It's awesome, but it's this moment of recognition of giving praise to God, giving praise this all-encompassing, everything-we-have type of praise to God. The second reading is from Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 to 8. This begins six weeks that we have in Revelation. And this, again, is then recognizing the churches in Asia, recognizing the seven different churches that kind of get focused on in the book of Revelation, but then also keeping an eye for God recognizing that God is both the beginning and the end, the Alpha and the Omega, but then also in that, that we should be keeping an eye and looking for God and seeing where God is, not just acknowledging that God is still in and among us and around us consistently. But before we jump into how faith and science come together this week, we have to do a shameless plug. Working Preacher, if you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it between the Sermon Brainwaves podcast, their commentaries, their discussions. Since I'm not an ordained minister, I use them on a weekly basis to help bring you this podcast. I really enjoy having not only a podcast with having three to four different seminary professors coming from Luther Seminary in St. Paul, Minnesota, but also having the commentaries which go back multiple cycles through this and having different biblical scholars interpreting these. So, It's really helpful to just get some new ideas, different ideas. So, if you haven't checked out workingpreacher.org, I'd highly recommend it. Second of all, I'd highly recommend checking out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library. I really enjoy it. Not only do I think that they lay out the text really, really well, but I really enjoy also having the art, being able to look at and conceive and work on how a different cultures, how a different people, how different periods of time interpreted these texts artistically, and especially that can give you a unique perspective into these texts. So, if you haven't checked out the Revised Common Lectionary coming from Vanderbilt's Divinity Library, I'd highly recommend that also. I think we have to recognize the few things that were going on here. First, between John's Gospel and the Acts text, the empowerment that comes And I think one of the things that we have to do with this is then look at it like a scientist would look at this. And I don't think that Thomas was necessarily doubting. I think in a lot of ways, Thomas was helping us reaffirm us. I think in a lot of ways that we have given the name of doubting Thomas a negative name. I think in a lot of ways, Thomas, to me, sounds like a scientist and is trying to make sure that an outlier didn't just happen. So if you're not as affluent, an outlier is a piece of data that happens that is way off the mark compared to the rest of your data set and that you figure that if you have a big enough data set, you can let go of your outliers. To having the idea that Jesus has ascended and defeated death is a big enough outlier to begin with but then to say that his 10 closest friends because by this point judas has no longer with us that his 10 closest friends who are there come to him and say we saw this thing is probably a bit of a stretch to his understanding and it's not necessarily that he doubts he wants to make sure it happened remember these people are scared There's moments where I think about the other 10, do they even wake up from this and say, did we actually see what we thought we saw last night? With the doors locked behind the door, did he really appear? I think that's a valid point because that's a major part of what science is all about. Science is trying to make sure that you are seeing what you're seeing and that you're able to infer what you're able to infer. And there's multiple ways that we do that. First way that we do that is by trials. So sometimes you might hear these as like clinical trials, but sometimes you never even get to that step. It's that you're repeating the process multiple times over to kind of help prevent having outlier data, like we talked about. So by doing this, figuring that you're slowly getting more and more people, you're able to see like in a medical trial, more like the medical side effects or something going on, but also be able to better see versus like a placebo If this is actually happening or is it something that when you have such small numbers, the results and the anomalies get magnified because it only happens in a few people, but you only had a few people to begin with in your trial. So thus it looks like a bigger thing. So as you are increasing the number of people or number of trials or number of times that you're doing this, is it staying at that same consistent rate? Thomas, in my opinion, is trying to make sure that this isn't just a one-time thing. He's trying to make sure that his friends, I think in a lot of ways, aren't delusional. I think in a lot of ways, Thomas is trying to make sure how many times have I locked myself in a room during this time even, and no one's appeared. And yet, you're telling me that Jesus appeared. See, within even the scientific community, there is this thing called peer review, where you take your paper in which you've researched and you typed it all up and then you send it to the journal that you're looking at having publication and they review it and decide, Is this worthy to be published in our journal based on, like, if it fits within what type of things we typically publish? Is this really a new discovery? Is this something that's unique research? Is it something that people are going to find interesting? That type of thing. From there, if they say yes to all that... Then they send it to a group of their peers, a group of people who study similar things to be able to nitpick the scientific research apart. Nitpick, is it specific enough? Is it answering all the questions? Is it unique work? really going through it with a fine tooth comb and they might go back and forth multiple times to really make sure that the paper kind of stands on its own, that there's really something there that's worthy of discussion, worthy of this title to then be able to be published in a peer reviewed journal. Also making sure in a lot of cases that the methods and stuff is documented in a way that it could be repeated so that others could be able to run the same test and should be able to get similar results. When I think about that process, I think that in a lot of ways, that's kind of what Thomas is doing. Maybe Thomas isn't doubting, but Thomas wants reassurance that this is not an outlier, but that this is something that is actually happening. That this is something that forces them to acknowledge what they have known is different now. That this person really was different. You have Jesus even when he comes back to the initial 10. Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he said this, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Jesus, even in this moment, then, is still doing ascending in that moment. And Jesus, then, when he returns with Thomas present, have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen, have yet come to believe. This process of understanding that I may not be able to test Everything that I read in a scientific paper, but there has to be a point where I have trust in the results because it's been peer reviewed or because it, this has been tested time and time and time again. I have to be able to trust that. I have to be able to recognize that. But yet, here Thomas has also helped us in the future that this wasn't just this one time thing. And as we are also stating, and it repeats throughout scripture, how. God keeps coming back, Jesus keeps coming back in these moments in small individual interactions showing like this repeatable process if you want to talk about it from a scientific standpoint that this wasn't just seen once this was seen by multiple people the mounting evidence is there I read an article this last week and I'll attach some stuff down below that made me smile little over a year ago, I talked about in this podcast how the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service had decided to remove some species off the endangered species list. And one of them that I had a hard time letting go of was the ivory-billed woodpecker. The ivory-billed woodpecker is the third largest known woodpecker ever to exist in the world that we know of and from the samples and stuff that i've seen if you've ever seen a pileated woodpecker one it dwarfs it in size and two the blacks in the black of the ivory-billed woodpecker makes the pileated woodpecker look gray this bird up until recently hadn't been officially seen since 1944 And so in a lot of ways, it was then seen as we are chasing ghosts and not really finding anything. Recently, there have been findings published in not yet a peer-reviewed journal, but mounting evidence to show that there are people actually seeing a few of these and some of their interactions that they are having with this as they are slowly mounting evidence that, yes, Something is going on. That, yes, these birds are still around in severely low populations. Partially because of hunting that we did 150 years ago and a hundred years ago. What used to be a very plentiful bird is now scared of us and tries to hide itself from us. But yet the evidence is starting to mount to the point where there is stuff starting to happen where people are starting to say, this isn't gone yet. It has made a return. And maybe it was never gone to begin with. The importance of having evidence, the importance of then going into a peer-reviewed journal and having people being skeptics, to be able to recognize that maybe yes, maybe no, but the more that you provide, the harder it is to become a skeptic. Think of at the point here in John's gospel, you've had Jesus appearing to the women who weren't looked at highly within the society. And then you have them appearing to 10 people all together in one room that it happened once. Suddenly Thomas saying, I need this. And I almost feel like for this gospel in particular, John, it's like it's giving that second point of view saying, no, this was not just a single time that he appeared. He came back and he showed himself to us multiple times. And in doing that, sent us out. If the ivory-billed woodpecker actually has returned, it's going to send forth efforts to one, understand this bird, two, how to conserve this bird, and three, What have we been missing the last 75 to 100 years? The discovery to try to understand more about this becomes very real. Thomas stating that, yes, this wasn't just a one-time thing, and recognizing the Lord and recognizing what has happened emboldens our faith that there is more evidence here, that there isn't just the passing who said which emboldens people like Peter, like we see in the Acts reading, to give praise like we see in Psalm 150, or to be able to for us to understand the abundance of love of what God is willing to do for us to help us in reassuring us that we are loved. It emboldens the church in Asia at the beginnings of the foundation of, of where the church is today. You see, Thomas wasn't doubting. Thomas was reassuring us. Thomas was giving us more to actually feast our teeth into. The person who's bringing forth this discussion about the ivory-billed woodpecker stated that he, since 2005, has had about nine different occasions where he's fairly confident that he's seen an ivory build or interacted with an ivory build. To the point of where skeptics have, when they've shown different demonstrations of pictures that they have of the bird, which aren't amazing. I mean, we're talking early 20th, first century digital cameras here, where they taking pictures of the shadowy figure of the bird in a tree and the tree is dead. So they're cutting down the tree and then putting up what we know of artifacts of these birds saved at the Smithsonian and giving size comparisons between a pilliated and an ivory build and saying this is just reassuring the evidence here that we still had doubters. A lot of science, we are trained to be skeptics, but what I also know is there is a time to be able to trust the research that others have put in too. I think back to an experience, again, that we talked about first year we did the podcast, so four years ago, in July, I believe. And I talk about this experience where I'm sitting out and observing great blue herons, a rookery, and we had noticed, a group of people had noticed that one of the young was white, not albino, but just a white coloration. And we were waiting to see what color was the parent that came in. Was it white? Or was it a typical great blue heron? I sat out there multiple days. I never saw the result. But when I got told the result that a blue, great blue heron, mother or parent fed that young, I didn't doubt in that period of time. And I can't tell you exactly why. I didn't need to see the pictures. Maybe it was being that I had sat there in a mosquito filled area beside a lake for hours enough that I didn't need to go and see it with my own eyes. Maybe at that point, knowing that people were taking pictures of it and trusting the people that we were working with, I didn't need to worry about seeing it myself to verify that that's what happened. That at that moment, I had the faith, the trust in the people who we were working with to have that happen. Maybe Thomas is giving us the reassurance on this side of the cross for future generations to say it's okay for us to question, but here is more evidence. It didn't just happen once. Maybe I could have trusted with my friends, but I myself, for whatever reason, needed that little bit of additional help myself. Because trust takes time. Trust doesn't just happen overnight. And maybe that was another part of it. The people who I was working with, the people that I was interacting with, I could trust. Maybe Thomas was so scared of being deceived that he just couldn't trust at that moment. Even my Ivor build Woodpecker example, I remember seeing footage in the 2000s of somebody claiming they had video footage of the ivory-billed woodpecker and sitting and listening to the discussion and watching it myself and convincing myself at that moment that they were still there. So that when I discover something 15 years later that now there's people saying that yes they're still around, it's not that hard for me to convince myself that yes they're still there. That I can trust because I've seen things to be able to trust. But isn't that what our faith a lot of times is? That we've all gone through things or witnessed things or seen things beyond what we can just understand. Or maybe not even understand, but it's just something that's so coincidental. Or something that was so powerful that it just can't be put into words. And that's part of our faith story. As we talk with other Christians, as we talk with others We slowly are maybe able to get some of the words out and in that maybe actually put words to paper of what that actually was and it strengthens what we knew or helped us find some new part of our faith that we never knew we had. The question I have for you this week is how do we get to the level to trust? How do we get to a place to trust? How do we get to that place where we can trust. because that's not an easy answer. but I think Thomas is showing that we have a God who will continue to pursue us to help us in that, that relationship part of God and that this isn't something that just is purely individual, but it was also community based. One of the things that I, I find fascinating is what are the other 10 thinking? as they're telling Thomas this, and yeah, Thomas gets the whole recognition of questioning this, but what were the other 10 thinking? Is it these types of experiences that emboldens Peter? I don't know. What does the apostle Paul think of this stuff later on? I don't know. Paul does write about acknowledging that Jesus appeared before many, some who are still living and some not, and him saying he did appear to me, but I feel the lowliest of the low that he even appeared to me. So is seeing believing? I don't think so, because I don't need to physically see an ivory-billed woodpecker to know that I believe they're still around, but I have seen evidence that helps support that and maybe that's what Thomas is doing for us. Maybe this isn't supposed to be the convincing argument. It's the argument of to keep pursuing, keep looking, because he might appear in the moments when you least expect it. If an ivory-billed woodpecker can be declared coming off the endangered species list as extinct and having papers then showing there might be some evidence that it is still around a year later, maybe we need to take some of the things that we know and be willing to ponder them and sit there a while and question what do we actually know. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.